0: Good morning. It's a joy to gather together on this first day of the week to worship our God. Last Sunday was Easter, but in a sense, this Sunday is Easter. Next Sunday is Easter. Every Sunday of the year is Easter because on every Sunday, God's people gather together to declare that Jesus Christ, the Lord, is risen. Amen. That's why we're here. Because it's the first day of the week. It's resurrection day. It is the day on which the tomb was found empty. And we believers 2,000 years removed from that historical event declare that is the most important thing that ever happened. It it demands, it deserves our attention. And the one who was raised from that tomb deserves all our praise and glory. And we're thankful that you're here. Last Sunday on Easter we started a new series about the resurrection called This Changes Everything. And we're going to be continuing that series today and for the next several weeks talking about the resurrection was, was, was a historical event to be sure. It happened, and I attempted to establish that last week and to just affirm our faith that Jesus rose bodily from the grave but it wasn't it's not just a historical event. this is an event that has far reaching ramifications for the lives of all people on planet Earth, and that's what we're going to dig into over the next several weeks. I want to start in Romans five today, and it would be beneficial for you if you had your own copy of the God of the Bible God's Word, and if you were able to turn to some different places we're, we're going to be mainly in First Corinthians. 15 the passage that was read for us earlier but we are going to be skipping around to a few different places and i want to begin not in our primary text but in romans 5 where paul in the first few verses talks about other things hope he says at the end of verse 2 that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of god and he says in the next couple of verses that the sufferings we endure in this life eventually produce in us hope. And he says in verse 5 that hope does not put us to shame. The hope that we have as Christians. Now, when the Bible, when the New Testament uses the word hope, it does not use that word like we use that word. When we say hope, we're talking about a. A wish. We're talking about wishful thinking. I hope that will happen. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's I hope it will happen. It's not wishful thinking. It is bold expectation. It is confident anticipation. It is knowledge that whatever we are hoping in will come to pass. And so my question is, what is the primary hope for Christians? If I were to pose that question to you in a one-on-one conversation, what are we hoping for? What are we looking forward to? What is our primary anticipation? What would you say? I'm not asking you to give an answer right here and right now in the assembly, but just imagine that. If I were to say, what are Christians hoping for? What would you say? A lot of people in our culture would say, well, I hope to go to heaven when I die. I mean, there is a soft, general belief in the afterlife that exists in our society. It goes something like this. People who are relatively good in this life will go to heaven when they die, and we hope to see them again someday. And this thinking exists also in the church. And maybe some of you even thought, if I were to pose that question to you, what is our primary hope? What are we most looking forward to? You would say, to go to heaven when I die. But I want to say something to you this morning from the Scriptures that may or may not be radical to you. I don't know how you're you're going to hear it, but if if you hear it and it sounds controversial or it sounds radical to you, I want you to stick with me. Throughout the course of this sermon. What I want to say is. That was not the primary source of hope. For the early Christians. To simply go to heaven when we die. That was not what they were most looking forward to. That was not the source of their greatest longings. It was not what they were expecting. Anticipating to happen. It wasn't what they were most excited about. Now. Now. Let's let's travel through this idea together. I want to pick up where we left off last week, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel writers, as we established, go to great pains to show us that Jesus was bodily raised in Luke chapter 24. You'll remember this text if you were here last week on Easter Sunday when Jesus appeared to the disciples. What did they think at first when they saw him? They thought he was a ghost. They thought he was a spirit. And Luke spells that out for us. But Jesus says, I'm paraphrasing, look at me. Does a spirit have flesh and bones? And later he doesn't say this, but proves to them when he shares a meal with them, when he eats their broiled fish. There, I said it. I got it right. I was determined to say it correctly today. When he eats the food in front of them, he is showing them, hey, I'm not just some apparition. I'm not just some spirit. I have been raised. I have a body. And then when Jesus later appeared to Thomas, what does he do? He invites Thomas to touch his scars in his wrists, in his side. You can't touch a spirit a ghost. This was to show Thomas and the rest. It is me in the flesh. I have a resurrection body. I have been raised. Jesus was in a physical body. The gospel writers want us to know that 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 his body didn't remain in the tomb and it was just his spirit. He was raised. Now the resurrection of Jesus becomes the crowning moment of the gospel event. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We talk a lot about the gospel, how we believe the gospel, how we want to be obedient to the gospel, how I'm a gospel preacher. What is the gospel? Well, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel or good news is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, now we're moving into our text. Paul says, well, we're getting closer at least, Paul says in verse three, I delivered to you that which is most important and I received this. This is central to your faith that Christ died for your sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then look at all those appearances. Paul says, look at all the people to whom he appeared. And we talked about that last week and how that is compelling evidence For the resurrection of Jesus Christ, not that many people could have had a hallucination and groups of people don't have hallucinations. Jesus appeared to Peter, to the twelve, to five hundred people at one time. And Paul even says, hey, most of those people are still alive. If you want to go like search for any of them and ask them about it, you can. Some have died. A lot of them are still alive. You can talk to them about it. Go straight to the source. Talk to the eyewitnesses. And then he appeared to James and the apostles. And Paul says, and last of all, he appeared to me. I saw the resurrected Lord. He appeared to me. Death, burial, resurrection. This is the gospel. And the resurrection becomes the cornerstone of Christian preaching. Do something sometime. You'll you'll be interested to see, as you thumb through the pages of Acts, how many times the resurrection of Jesus appears in the preaching of the earliest Christians. It's all over the place. It's what they were declaring. It is what proved that Jesus was Lord, that he was who he said he was. It vindicated his his divinity, the fact that he rose from the dead. But the resurrection wasn't just something awesome that happened to Jesus. It was that for sure. But it also held promise for all believers. That was the focus of their preaching as well. Now, most Jews in Jesus' day believed in a future resurrection. Some didn't. Uh, The Sadducees, a Jewish sect, famously did not. And that is why they were sad you see as we sing about in the psalm, because they didn't believe there was anything coming in the future, but most Jews did believe that there was coming a day when God would raise the dead and He would judge the earth. We see this everyday kind of belief in John chapter 11, verse 24, if you want to look there with me. John 11 verse 24. You'll remember that Jesus is standing before the tomb of his good friend Lazarus. Lazarus has died and he's been buried. And Jesus says to Lazarus' sister, Martha, your brother will rise again. And what did Jesus mean by that? He meant, in the next few moments, I'm going to bring your brother back to life. But what did Martha think that he meant? She thought, and she says as much in verse 24, verse 24, she said to Jesus, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus talks about how he's the resurrection and the life. And he raises Lazarus from the dead right there and then. But what I want us to notice about this text this morning is that Martha sort of repeats what was the general belief of the day, that there would be a general resurrection on the last day. That's what a lot of Jews believed. But in the New Testament, God reveals that not only is that true, what most Jews believe, that there would be a resurrection, that people would someday rise from the dead. Not only is that true, but that future event is inextricably, inseparably tied to the resurrection of Christ. Those two things go together. They cannot be pulled asunder. The future resurrection and the resurrection that has occurred with Jesus Christ, God's Son. And that's what Paul gets into talking about in 1 Corinthians 15, our text. Okay, here we go. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection from the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. All right, verse 15, let's keep going. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He didn't raise, if it's true that the dead aren't raised. Verse 16, If the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. So apparently, there were some people in Corinth, Christians, in this city, in this church, who didn't believe in the future resurrection. Now, maybe there were some Jews in the church, Jewish Christians, but probably not, and probably not many if there were, because we've already talked about what the Jews believe. Most Jews believe, yes, there is a a resurrection. Probably Gentile believers. Listen to this statement from a biblical scholar and historian. He says, As far as the ancient pagan world was concerned, the road to the underworld ran only one way. Death was all-powerful. One could neither escape it in the first place nor break its power once it had come. Everybody knew there was in fact no answer to death. How depressing. The ancient world with the exception of the Jews was adamant that dead people did not rise again. And so you had people coming out of idolatry, coming out of pagan worship, believing in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it was hard for them to shake that enduring belief that there was nothing on the other side of the grave, nothing on the other side of eternity. Dead people do not come back to life. Apparently, they couldn't quite get rid of this notion. And so Paul says to them, listen, if Christ didn't raise from... If He wasn't raised from the dead, then... The future resurrection is not going to happen. And if the future resurrection, if you don't believe that's ever going to happen, then Christ was never raised from the dead. If this doesn't happen, that didn't happen. If that didn't happen, this doesn't happen. These two are, are you cannot separate them. There will be a resurrection. There was a resurrection. Believe it. It's true. And Paul says, if both are untrue, if there is no future resurrection... If Jesus' body is still in the tomb, if he didn't come back to life, then everything falls apart. I mean, everything about the Christian faith unravels. Look at what he says. I mean, his language could not be any stronger on this point. He says, verse 14, If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, your faith is in vain. What I'm doing today is useless. What you believe is useless. Verse 17, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. You're, you're still lost. You're still destined for death and destruction if Christ has not been raised. And that's what Alex is going to talk about next week, how the resurrection is good news in regard to our sin and ridding us of our sin. But Paul says, if it never happened, you're still languishing in your sins. There is no way out. What about verse 18? Those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If there's no resurrection, all your faithful loved ones who have gone on, they're they're gone. I mean, their lives are done. You'll never see them again. They've just dissipated. Lost to history. Their lives have not continued beyond the grave. And verse 19. If in Christ we have hope in this life, only we are of all people most to be pitied. If if we think this is all there is, then we deserve more pity than anybody else in the whole world. Paul says all of this is at stake if we reject the future resurrection and Christ's resurrection. It all just comes crumbling down. Gerald O. Collins once said, Christianity without the resurrection is not simply Christianity without its final chapter. It is not Christianity at all. But Paul says, quite simply, because Jesus was raised, we will be raised. Verse 20, our final verse of the text today. In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. So Christ is the first fruits and then will come the harvest. Christ's resurrection assures us that someday, though we die, yet shall we live. We'll be raised to newness of life. And this is the Christian hope. This is primarily what we are looking forward to. This is what we are anticipating. Not just dying and going to heaven, but the glorious and grand return of our Lord Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead and the dawn of eternity. Now, it's not that the New Testament doesn't mention what happens after death for the souls of faithful believers. Paul gives us some hints in Philippians chapter 1, verses 21 through 23. Listen to what he says. For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. So if I'm going to go on living, I'm going to go on being obedient to Christ, but to die is, that's better. I will gain something. And he says, if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. So Paul says, when I die as a faithful Christian, I will go, and in a sense, I will be with Christ. And we know from what Jesus told the criminal on the cross, that this intermediate state after death for for faithful believers, is called paradise. And we know from the book of Revelation that this is a place of rest for believers. But these are mere footnotes in a story that has as its grand conclusion the return of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of the dead. The New Testament is way more focused on that event than it is on what happens to us after we die. Now, a lot more could be said about this, but I say these things to say what happens to us after die was not the early Christians' primary hope. This is how they thought. Life in Christ here is good. It is the best life that you can live. To fulfill your your greatest potential to live a life of, of, of blessedness and of joy and of peace and satisfaction, you've got to be in Christ. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to face some trials and and some tribulations along the way, but it it does mean that we will have the strength with which to face those trials. And that's another sermon coming up in this series. Life in Christ in the here and now, no matter what kind of trials and, and suffering we face, it's good. But what happens after death to the soul of the faithful believer, that's better. That's even better then what happens here? That's what Paul says. But life after Jesus returns, life after we are raised from the dead, that is best. That's what we're most excited about. Good, better, best. Now you may say, how is all of this going to work? What is this going to look like, this resurrection of which you speak? And I don't know all the ins and outs. This is... This is a topic about which it's very important for us, as we have said for for many generations, to speak where the Bible speaks and to be silent where the Bible is silent. So I don't know exactly how it's all going to look, how it's all going to shake out. I've had people ask me before, should I be cremated with the idea of the resurrection in mind? And you know, for many generations, Christians preferred to not be cremated. But in our country, I think you probably know that cremation is on the rise. It's skyrocketing. And I've had people in recent years say, is it okay for a Christian to be cremated? And I say to that question, I think that's totally fine. <laughs> because God is powerful and, and, and he's going to raise the dead no matter what condition our body, he finds our bodies in on that grand and glorious day when Jesus returns. The book of Revelation in chapter 20, verse 13, talks about God gathering the dead out of the sea. Now, if God can gather the dead out of the sea, then surely He can raise our bodies regardless of of what condition in which He finds them. So I don't know how it's all going to happen, but I know it is going to happen because the Bible tells me so. And you may say, Now, Joseph, you aren't saying that I'm going to take this old body with me into eternity. And no, I'm absolutely not saying that. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Paul says. Listen, let's just hear straight from Paul. Verse 50 of 1 Corinthians 15. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable. We shall be changed. This perishable... This perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. So, no, it's not this old body. And you're thinking, phew, that's good news. Because I don't want to take this old, worn out, tired, broken down body with me into eternity. Paul says, this old perishable body it has to put on imperishability. This mortal body, immortality. This physical body becomes a spiritual body. We, in a sense, are clothed with a grand, with a brand new body. But, the big point I want to make this morning is, the reason we cannot let go of our strong belief and our firm hope in resurrection is because resurrection is the means by which God defeats death. And death is not fully conquered until graves are emptied and bodies are raised. If our bodies remain in the grave indefinitely, then death wins kind of sort of a victory. And God is not interested in pseudo victory. God will be all in all. God will defeat death once and for all. And that's what we hear from Paul in verse 54 of chapter 15. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin, the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the Christian hope. And it is a hope that will not put us to shame. It's the hope for Gary Habermas, a professor and expert on the resurrection of Jesus Christ who lost his wife Debbie after a long battle with stomach cancer in 1995. Here's an excerpt of an interview he did for a book called The Case for Christ. I sat on our porch, he he began, looking off to the side at nothing in particular. He sighed deeply, then went on. My wife was upstairs dying. Except for a few weeks, she was home through it all. It was an awful time. This was the worst thing that could possibly happen. He turned and looked straight at me. But do you know what was amazing? My students would call me, not just one, but several of them, and say, at a time like this, aren't you glad about the resurrection? As sober as those circumstances were, I had to smile for two reasons. First, my students were trying to cheer me up with my own teaching. And second, it worked. I knew if God were to come to me, I'd ask only one question. Lord, why is Debbie up there in bed? And I think God would respond by asking gently, Gary, did I raise my son from the dead? And I'd say, come on, Lord, I've written seven books on that topic. Of course he was raised from the dead. But I want to know about my wife, Debbie, who's dying. I think he'd keep coming back to that same question. Did I raise my son from the dead? Did I raise my son from the dead? Until I got his point. The resurrection says that if Jesus was raised 2,000 years ago, there's an answer to Debbie's death in 1995. He says, Losing my wife was the most painful experience I've ever had to face. But if the resurrection could get me through that, it can get me through anything. The resurrection is the hope for Michael Whitworth. Michael, who was a Freed Hardeman classmate of mine, here with us in January for teaching Rocket, and whose two-year-old son, you know the story if you were there with us, two-year-old son died tragically, suddenly. He's anticipating the resurrection. On a picture of his son's grave that he recently posted on Facebook, he mentions 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, in which Paul says, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Hasten that day, O Christ. Hasten that day, writes Michael. And as I heard him once say, If the empty tomb doesn't take your breath away, then you've never wept beside a grave. Is the resurrection your hope? Do you have unshakable confidence that you will someday be be raised to new life? D.A. Carson once said, there is nothing wrong in my life that a good resurrection won't fix this morning you have an opportunity to rise to new life in the here and now from coming up out of the waters of baptism where your sins will have been washed away so that you can rise to eternal life on that day if that's your desire we invite you to come if you're struggling in any way we invite you to come at this time as well once you do that while we stand and sing